Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Have you ever been around somebody that just can't seem to find the good in anything? One day at work, it's been years and years ago, but I've forgotten it's kind of humorous. We got a good laugh out of it then. It kind of is appropriate to begin this lesson today. I was in a little bit of a funk that day. Uh, a couple people called in sick, if I recall, uh, which, you know, their workload doesn't just go away. It gets spread out for those that are around them. So all of a sudden, now your workload increases. And and the weather was bad that day. I was going to get rained on. It was called for weather. And, you know, just one of them days where you look out and everything's gray, and that's the way you feel on the inside. And I can remember loading up my truck. As I'm loading, I'm with the other guys there, and I'm loading up. I said, man, it's going to be a miserable day today. Just going to be miserable. We're overworked. We're, the weather's terrible. <coughs> We're going to get rained on, and it's just a, going to be a miserable day today. And one of my coworkers looked at me and said, hey, you need to be positive. I said, yeah. I said, you know, you want to jack slap him about that time. But I said, yeah, I said, you know what? You are right. You are right. I said, I apologize. I said, I am positive it's going to be a miserable day. (laughs) There are just some folks that just cannot come out of that misery that they're living in. Amen. It's natural to have a down day every once in a while. Those of you that know me know that that is an untypical day for me. I'm usually in a good mood. I like to have fun. I like to enjoy life. God has blessed me in so many different ways that when I uh, begin to think about them, it's hard to stay. It's hard to stay down, you know. And, and yeah, there are days where it rains outside and days where it's gray outside. But if you never had, I, I just got back from California from Nolan and Katie Graham's wedding, and I see the effects of never having a rainy day. Now that's. It's one thing to go out there and visit and enjoy a little bit of Oceanside and see some things that maybe you've never seen before. But I told my wife, I said, this is a great place to visit. It's, it's unique out here. It's landscaping like I have never seen, but it is so dry. I couldn't wait to get back home. We were flying back home, and Brother Graham, we got back in. He said, I'm so happy to see green again. You know, there, there's a purpose to the rainy days, there's a purpose to the rainy days. And so every once in a while, we'll have a, a, a down day. You know, that's a natural thing. It happens to the best of us. But making a lifestyle out of it just makes you and everyone that has to be around you miserable, right? Maybe you're not the one that's down. Maybe you are stuck with somebody that's always down. And I'm not saying your spouse. I'm saying a coworker or something, something like that not anybody that you have to live with. Dear Lord, have mercy. You see, I would have done well that day to remember how blessed I was to have the job that I had because I remember, and I've said this many times over to other coworkers, <clears throat> especially new coworkers that, that are dealing with the frustration that comes along with knowing how to do the job well, and they don't know how to do it well yet. So there's enough frustration if you know what you're doing, but when you are brand new, there's so much to learn, so much frustration that I'm fearful a lot of times that, that that'll, and it happens a lot where somebody will come in and that will just last a few weeks because 
it's too much to handle. And, and I tell him, listen, you stick with it a little while, he, and, and you hang with it, and you'll get through the tough part, and then it'll just be like any other job. You, you'll be able to handle it, but at least you'll know uh, while, while you're working how to do what you're supposed to do. A lot of the frustration will go away. And I tell him this, I've worked a lot harder and made a lot less. And so in my mind, I'm just trying to help them have a positive attitude in, in a negative environment, so to speak. I, I That day, probably before it was over with, if I remember correctly, I'll usually begin to tell myself, now listen, you know, especially once you get the bulk of the day behind you, it didn't go nearly as bad as what I thought it was going to be. The rain let up, and 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 the, the stops clicked off, and even the customers were kind that day or whatever. It's not nearly as bad as what I assumed it was going to be, and most of the time, that's the way it is. There's really a great truth in that old song, Count Your Blessings. Some of you people my age and older, you can remember that. Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, <laughs> see what the Lord has done. But when we stop to realize how blessed we are, it can take a negative attitude and turn it into a positive one. And so our text today, I, I've said all that to kind of set up the text today. Because the Israelite people, the Hebrews that, that had just been delivered from Egyptian bondage, they could have taken this advice to heart and, and done a whole lot better in their travels. They could have done a whole lot better. The Bible talks about how they murmured and they complained and they paid a price for it. Our text today is Psalms chapter 78, verse 40 and 41. Now, if you read this, let me just let me just read it for you, and then you can go back and read the rest of the chapter. I'll, I'll discuss it here in just a moment. Verse 40 says, how oft did they, and when they say they here, they're talking about the Hebrews, the, the children of Israel, how oft did they provoke him, they provoke God in the wilderness, and grieve him in the desert. Yea, they turned back and tempted God. And this is where I want to draw your attention to, the very last line, and limited the Holy One of Israel. The lesson today I've just entitled, Limiting the Unlimited. Limiting the Unlimited. The psalmist wrote this chapter, that, that wrote this chapter, he was giving us kind of a, a, a brief history lesson of what had taken place. Now, you can go back in Exodus and read about what happened in greater detail, but, but Asaph here, who wrote Psalm 78, he's kind of given us a brief synopsis of what took place here, a condensed history lesson of some, what I would consider to be embarrassing spiritual times for Israel. They must have seemed to God like a bunch of big babies. I mean, uh, I think there's not a single adult in here that would not be annoyed by giving a child a birthday present or a Christmas present that you've worked hard for and you put a lot of time and effort and thought into 
getting this present for the child and have the child turn its nose up or, 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 or pull it out and just tear it apart and break it. You want it to, you want that child to uh, admire the gift. You want that child to at least respect the gift and not, not, not destroy it. But here we have the children of Israel, and, and they're, they're in a place where they have been delivered. And yet they are complaining and they are murmuring. And to be honest, there are times when I've read through this and I wonder why God or how God could love them as much as he did after all that they had done. But then I stop and think, I'm sure glad he is that patient because he's had to treat me the same way. He's had to treat you the same way. I don't know about you, but, you know, since the Lord... Uh, filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There have been times when I've made mistakes. There's been times when I've fallen short. There have been times when I've had to go back to the Lord and say, hey, listen, I've messed up again, or I've messed up for the first time, or I've messed up something brand new, or I I said the wrong thing. Would you forgive me? And I am so grateful that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we repent of our sins. What a great God we serve. you go back and kind of look at what took place, you'll see how God, what all God had done to deliver them out of Egypt. So all the plagues that he put on the Egyptians, and then he destroys the Egyptians after that. Their enemies, you know, they're they're out there. You brought us out here to kill us, Moses. You brought us out. We'd have been better off back in Egypt. We'd we'd have been better. And if you think about some of the things that they, that they, that they talked about going back to, you, you know, we had leeks and onions and garlic back, back in Egypt. Those things stink. Why is it that some of the things that we crave so much, they leave us smelling wretched? Think about it. When we turn our back on God, oftentimes it's not something that would make our life better. It would be something that make our, make our life smell worse. In a spiritual sense, I'm speaking here, of course. So many things that the human flesh would desire or things that would just cause our spiritual life to reek. But God, he loved them so much. So he delivers them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, then the miraculous provision in the wilderness. He gives them food. He gives them water. He gives them clothes that never wear out. We were just talking about this. Me and Brother Jared, right before church, we're, we're planning to go uh, look around for a couple of new suits. And uh, we were talking about the types of suits. I said, I like a little wool blend in my suit. I said, it seems to make them last a lot longer. And he said, you you got to make them last longer. They're too expensive. I said, bro, I, I, I know that feeling real good right there. I you know, I, I wear my clothes until they're basically falling apart. I threw a pair of jeans away yesterday. My wife would be so proud of me. But I will hang on to things. I've got shoes in my closet that I've had for 20 years. But they're just not quite wore out yet. And I look at those things. I said, well, I can mow the grass in those. Or I can do it. Well, these jeans finally got to the place where I said, if I step out in public, I'm going to be immodest. Time for them to go. 
I'd worn them through. It was time to say goodbye. It's hard to say goodbye to things like that. But God gives the children of Israel everything that they needed. Maybe not everything that they wanted, but everything that they needed to provide for them in a place where they had created for themselves. He didn't want them to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. It was his desire and his plan for them to leave Egypt and then make a journey, overcome an enemy, and take over a land that he had promised them to take over. But now they're in the wilderness by their own design, not God's, and God still looks at them and says, listen, I don't want you to perish. You're stuck here, but I'm still going to provide for you because you're my people. Water, food, raiment that doesn't wear out. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. And still, they look at everything around them, and they find something to grumble and complain about. Manna again? Well, the alternative is to go hungry, so yes, manna again. I want to preach a message sometimes saying don't despise the manna. Because sometimes we get to the place where we're so accustomed to certain things that we start grumbling and, and complaining. There, there have been times where, where uh, I, I've seen um, good times come and people don't need anything and, and that creates a softness about us that I think oftentimes uh, and an unappreciation about us to where we begin to grumble and complain and all of a sudden an enemy will come in and it will unite us. A problem or a crisis will come in and it will unite us just like 9-11 united us. Terrible, terrible thing. That should never have to be the case in the church. We should not have to have a crisis come in for the people of God to be united, for the people of God to come together and worship in one mind and one accord and to see what God will do in our midst. Man, but here they are. I'm not sure there's anything any more aggravating to me than the feeling of being unappreciated out of going out of my way to do something helpful. I mean, is it so hard? I'm still one of those guys, I don't like to let the door shut on somebody when I'm, when I'll hold the door open. Is it so hard to just say, hey, thanks. It makes me want to, if they don't say thank you, one of these days, It's just gonna, it's gonna bubble up out of me, and I'm gonna pull that door so hard behind them, I'm gonna knock them right into the store that they're trying to get into. Should have said thank you. Should have been appreciative. I didn't have to hold that door open. I could have let it shut. I think most of us are like that to a large degree. When we feel like what we did isn't appreciated, we made the favorite meal. Nobody says thank you or how good it tasted. It wasn't your favorite meal. It was their favorite meal. So you were thinking about them. And so you made their favorite meal, and they just sit down and gobble it all up and get up and leave you with the dirty dishes. And walk I don't mean to stir up any trouble in here or anything like that. But I'm trying to help somebody out today. It doesn't cost a thing to say thank you. I appreciated that. I know you put some thought into that. I know you were thinking about me when you did that. This is exactly how they made God feel. This is exactly what they did to God. I think that most of us, 
when we don't feel appreciated, we tend to just, we may not make a big deal about it, but we're certainly not going to put ourselves into that situation again. It'll be a long time before you get your favorite meal again if you don't say thank you. going to be a long time before he buys flowers and brings them home and sets them on the table if you don't make a big deal about it. If you don't at least say thank you, those are beautiful. Guys, it's okay to go get your wife some flowers every once in a while for no reason whatsoever. As a matter of fact, those are the most precious gifts that you might bring home to her when she's not expecting it. Hear me, I'm helping you. I'm helping you today. All the ladies are saying, amen. There's elbows going in some ribs right now. He's talking to you. He's talking to you. I'm sure God was like, what's it going to take for you stiff-necked people to understand that I'm going to take care of you if you will let me? Have I not proven myself to you? No, you know, I, I look at this whole story as it lays out and, how God sent the plagues. He sends Moses after 40 years of being gone, sends him back and, and sends the plagues. And Moses said, let my people go. And, and uh, no, I won't let your people go. Okay, well, this is going to happen. We'll bring it on. And then he brings it on, and he's like, okay, go. No, I changed my mind. Don't go. And then all these plagues come along, and then they, finally they go, and they get out to the Red Sea, and the children of Israel, you just brought us out here to die. You, you're going to get us all killed. And, and here comes the enemy, and God opens up the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land, and, and, and their enemies are destroyed. And after all of that, they still murmur and complain and doubt God. Bible says that when they did that, that it did something to him. They provoked him, they grieved him, and after all that he had done to get them out of their troubles, they still wanted to turn and go right back into the mess, right back into slavery. It has never been God's design or purpose for his church, his people, his children to live in bondage. He has paid the price for you, paved the way for you and I to come out from among them and be separate, to be saved. Amen. He has already made that available to us. It's no wonder Asaph says they limited God. It wasn't that God couldn't or that God God didn't want to help them. But they took a God that is limitless and limited him with their constant complaining. If there's one thing that will limit God in your life is doubting and complaining and murmuring about everything that he has given you and looking at that and say, it's not enough. I want more. Things could have been so different. They wasted 40 years. God still took care of them, but it wasn't like he wanted them to be taken care of. Sometimes we live a life where we're just surviving, surviving in the wilderness, water and manna, when God has said, I've created a place of milk and honey for you. And we limit God to water and 
manna when God says, I want to give you milk and honey. Hear me. Your miracle's not so far away as you might think it is. But you've got to get it in your mind that it can happen. There has to be an element of faith that comes into play in your way of thinking that does not limit God. It takes the limits off of God to do anything. Story I, I heard about this young man who came from a very underprivileged background, but even from a very young age, he had these vast dreams of traveling the world. And so he scrimped and saved when he got a little bit older, and he began to put together some money. And uh, his purpose was to finance his dream. The dream never went away, and the day finally came when he'd saved up enough money to purchase a ticket on a cruise liner that was sailing to some exotic places that he had always dreamed of going to. It's almost beside himself with excitement as he prepared to buy the ticket, but only a few moments later he realized that he just had enough money to buy the ticket. He hadn't thought about, what am I going to do for food? And so he scraped up a little bit of money and went and bought some very, very cheap food. He, he bought uh, some bread and some cheese. And so he brought the bread and cheese, and it wasn't gourmet meals. It was, just, it was just bread and cheese. It was enough for him to survive on so he could go see the places. And every day that he went to see a different place, he enjoyed it. He took in the beauty of God's creation and, and uh, was, uh, was not, not at all, you know, feeling like he was deprived. And in the evening, he would go back to his, his quarters, and he would break off some more bread and break off a little bit of cheese, and he would have his little meager supper and and uh, and uh, uh, drink a little water out of the tap. One day he was on the boat after a few days there, and, and, and he happened to stop, and he was talking to one of the, the people that worked on the ship, and while he was talking to him, he was standing right next to him. He said, what is that? What does that smell? That, that, that smells fantastic. He said, well, that's the dining room in here. That's where, where these folks go and everybody can eat. And he looked through the window and he saw steaks and roasts and potatoes and beautiful desserts and all kinds of carved melons and all these, this extravagant food. And he looked at all those people and it, it kind of changed the way he thought. He, he thought, man, I, you know, all of a sudden my trip doesn't seem quite as luxurious anymore. Here I am going back and having my bread and cheese. And that night when he went to have his little meager supper, it didn't taste as good as it had before. And it kind of took the edge, uh, you know, some of the excitement out of the, the thing to know that he wasn't able to go in there and have food like everybody else that was uh, going into the dining room and having the luxurious meals. And so the day finally came when his trip was over and he got ready to step off the boat. And it happened to be right next to the man that he, the, 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 the guy that worked on the ship that he had talked to that very first day that he had seen the dining room for the very first time. <coughs> And the, the man said, sir, I'm just curious, uh, you know, have we offended you in some way? He said, no, I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean? No, you have not offended me in any way. You've been very kind to me. He said, well, I just couldn't help but notice that you never one single time on this entire trip ever came and had a meal with us in the dining room. And so the young man looked at him and said, well, he said, I, I didn't have the money to pay for that. 
He said, you misunderstand. He said, every meal was included in your ticket price. All this time, he could have been eating steaks and potatoes and roast and enjoying the fresh fruits of the Caribbean and and getting all the side items that he wanted. I, I can remember, I can remember when we went on our 25th wedding anniversary cruise, that's like 11 years ago, the food that was there, they had this long buffet and it went all the way this way and then they had another one exactly like it that went this way and then they had another one over here that went this way. There was food every place that you went. You could go any time of the morning, noon, day, night, whenever you wanted to, and you could eat as much as you wanted. It wasn't that they were going to run out. No, the only thing that limited what we ate was us. And I did limit it because I said to myself, I am not getting off this cruise ship being 20 pounds heavier than when I stepped on. 15, 16, okay. It was unlimited. You could eat as much, as often as you chose to. It was always there. If you got a middle of the night craving, get up, walk down there, grab whatever you wanted to get, and come bring it back to your room, eat it there, whatever you decided to do. It was always available, but we limited ourselves, just as this young man limited himself to bread and and some cheese when he could have been eating steak and potatoes. And I've thought, how many times do we as Christians live in that same mindset? God, I've come in and I've got a need, but I don't know. I think uh, you might not be able to handle this one. I'm telling somebody today, you're living under your a spiritual ability if you have a mindset like that. Take the limits off God and don't limit what is unlimited. I don't want to live a spiritual life that's below what is included in the purchase price that Jesus paid for us to have. When I read scriptures like, by his stripes you were healed, I don't want to look at him and say, I don't know if this is too big for you to handle, God. I just want to go to him and say, God, here's my need. Do what you will with it. Maybe it's your decision not to handle it right now. Maybe maybe that, but I'm not going to stand here and say, I don't believe that you're capable. I'm going to take the limits off, God. I'm going to let God be God in my situation, but I'm also going to stand here and believe that he can do anything he decides to do. Don't have some underestimate God's love and provision. Don't ever underestimate how much he loves you, how much he wants to provide for you. He loves you. And I don't care where you came from or what your background is or what mess you've maybe trying to work your way out of. It really doesn't matter to me, and I know it doesn't matter to God where you are. God looks at where you can be in him. God looks at the sadness. God looks at the scars. God looks at the pain and all the, the things and the darkness that try to envelop us. And he says, you know what? I want you to know today you have not done something so wrong that my love won't reach down and provide a way of escape for you. 
you. If I have to part a Red Sea, I'll part a Red Sea. If I have to destroy an enemy, I'll destroy an enemy. If I have to send down food from heaven, I'll send down food from heaven. If I have to give water from a rock, I'll give water out of a rock. But know this today, honey, he's not going to leave you stranded. He's limitless. He's the God that has more than enough. I'll never forget the old song. I probably still could sing the whole thing. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people come and die. I'm sitting over in the corner eating my bread and my cheese. I say, I wish I could have some of what's on that table. I'm here to tell this church today, the table has been spread for you. The banquet is prepared for you, and there is nothing in this world worse than somebody that prepares a banquet and nobody comes to the table. Around our house, my wife likes to eat food when it's hot. And our children know when mom says, hey, it's ready, she's ready for us to come. And if we don't come right away, she can get a little irritated. Now, she doesn't show it too, too much, but I've been her husband for 36 years and been with her for 37 years when we were dating the year before that. And I've gotten to know that that little tone in her voice where she's trying to be kind and nice, but it gets a little strained. It's like mama's got the food ready and she spent the last hour and a half, two hours, maybe all day sometimes getting it ready. She's put a lot of time and effort. She wants us to get it while it's at its best. And if we don't come, but you know what? We can sing the songs with anointing. We can preach the word from the very depths of our heart. We can set the table. God can come in, and he is in this place because his word tells us that he is. But if nobody comes to the table, we limit a limitless God. And we walk out hungry, not because there was nothing to eat, but because we chose not to partake of what was prepared. Don't live a spiritual life that's below what God has provided. Don't miss another meal because all you think you can afford is bread and water. There's really only one thing that can limit God. Only one thing in this church that can limit him, our lack of faith in what he's able to do. You know, and and I could go back and, tell of stories of healings. I've been healed in, in this church, standing right here. Brother Hughes has been healed. My wife has been healed at uh, different times. There have been different ones that all throughout here that if I asked you to raise your hand, you can say, yeah, the Lord touched me. I remember. No, but still, in our humanity, it, 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 we have almost this attitude of what have you done for me lately? And we tend to push those things into the past and Wonder, can God still do those things? And I've got the answer for you. The answer is yes. He can.
Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is in Nazareth, which was his hometown. By this point in his life, his reputation has been noised abroad. So he comes back home. I can always remember being the small town boy that come back into town. Maybe my wife and I'd go in and pick up something from a store or whatever. I'd be out mowing grandma's lawn, see somebody I know. It's it, there's a good feeling about coming back to your hometown. Sometimes you you never stop caring about your hometown. Things change, but I, I still care about where I was raised. I still care about the community that that uh, I grew up in. I I, I don't know maybe. Maybe not everybody's like that, but I, I do. I care about the people that are there. I care about the way the town looks, and I, I don't want to see it go down. I want to see it blessed. I want to see it do well. I want to see the people there be people that are happy and, and proud to live in that community because it was a community that I was proud to live in. And, and so I can only imagine that when Jesus comes back to Nazareth, he's probably got some big plans because he'd been places where everybody that had a need was healed. He's walked into some places uh, uh, where people that have been carried in have walked out on their own two feet. He knows what he's capable of as God manifested in the flesh. And I'm sure that when he's headed back to Nazareth, he knows I can't wait to get back there because I know and I can remember so-and-so that was crippled from birth. And I, I wonder if I would happen to run into them. I wonder if when I get back there, they'll bring him out. I wonder if they'll come out and see me. But when he gets back to Nazareth, it's not what he probably expected to happen. Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the multiplier of fish and loaves. Jesus, the healer of the blind eyes. Jesus, who says, take up thy bed and walk. Lame man gets up and begins running and shouting and praising the Lord. That Jesus. And when they could have received so much more, they fell far below what they could have had. Other towns are clamoring to get an audience with the healer. Other places, they're gathering on the hillsides in droves just to hear a word from the master teacher's mouth. Their children are coming up and sitting on his lap. But he walks into his hometown and they say, eh, that's just the carpenter's son. I remember when he used to play out in the street with the other kids. They can't see anything more than this kid that had dirt on his face. They just see Mary's Mary's boy. That's Mary's boy. Lived down on 3rd Street. Went to grade school at such and such. That's just a hometown kid coming back home. He ain't no big deal. And because they thought he was no big deal, he could not become a big deal in their midst. Don't tell me that the way we think about God doesn't affect what he's able to do for us. The Bible says they were offended in him because they were familiar with him. They couldn't see past the kid that grew up 
down the street. They missed what he wanted them to have more than anybody. I don't know if there's anything much worse than knowing that you have the answer, knowing you have the solution, presenting it, and having everybody turn it away. You know that you can fix them. You know that, you know, there have been things that I have presented to people. My, my children have picked up on this, and, and, and in-laws have picked up on some different strategies and mindsets about just everyday life and saving for the future and that kind of thing. And I watched them, but I've talked to a lot of people like, oh, no, I can't do that. I, I remember when we were doing, uh, taking the, the Dave Ramsey thing, and, and we kind of took a few Wednesday nights over here and tried to help some folks out. And I had one person come to me and say, I'll be back when that's all over. I'm like, this is good for anybody. You don't have to do do the whole thing. I'm just trying to help us out here. This finances are a huge part of the Christian lifestyle, you know, living for God. He wants us to be blessed. And, and sometimes we just don't know uh, how to do it. And we need a little direction. And this was a good thing. And I had somebody say, no, nah, that ain't for me. I could never do that. And I thought, because of that mindset, you, you sure won't be able to come out of it. And I watched as they struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled until the day that they were gone. But I also watched as other people in the same situation made some tweaks and some changes in their life. Jesus wanted to come and help, but he was reduced. He was reduced down to the kid that grew up down the street, the carpenter. They did not see him as the Messiah. They saw him as a man with a hammer in his hand wasn't that they didn't have needs. It wasn't that Jesus had run out of power to perform what they needed. He would have loved to have blessed his hometown, but they couldn't see the truth that the Messiah had come. And because of it, their unbelief aborted their miracles. Music would come today. Close this up. Running out of time. It's very important that we understand, you know, when we come to church, we have two services on a Sunday, Wednesday night. We're together quite a bit. And we have fellowship things and things that go on where we gather together. It's important for us not to become too familiar with being in the presence of God, so familiar, in fact, that we do not see him as a miracle-working God. We just see it as another service. We're just coming together. We're going to worship. We're going to hear some preaching, clap our hands a little bit, walk down to the altar, and go home the same way. When we do that, we limit an unlimited God. Complacency destroys faith. Casual relationship with God creates apathy. Apathy kills expectation. Somebody needs to hear today that God has more for you than bread and cheese. You don't have to live a substandard spiritual existence barely skimping We had three kids in a two-bedroom trailer. 
drove a little Ford Escort and a Toyota Starlet. You think they can't get any smaller than the Escort? Try the Toyota Starlet, I promise you. I remember a family trip that we took all the way to Pennsylvania, and I would not drive the bigger car because it got worse gas mileage. <laughs> and we drove 1,400 miles in a Toyota Starlet. You know, if I would not been willing to, to step out, if I'd have gotten so comfortable in the job that I had, I'd probably still be driving around in a Toyota Starlet. But sometimes you've got to take a step of faith. Here I am, this small town, southern Illinois kid walking the streets of St. Louis as a foot courier Federal Express, scared to death, didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I was making a better life. I was expecting a bigger paycheck, which meant in turn I could expect nicer things for my family. My desire for this church is to see us live way up here spiritually. My desire and my belief in my mind, I see your lost child at this altar praying back through. I see your grandchildren getting baptized in that baptismal tank over there. I see your lost spouse or your mother or father, your loved one. I see your co-workers sitting next to you and you reaching a hand over on them and them receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what I see in my mind. And I don't want God to ever say, you did not expect certain things, so I couldn't do certain things. I know it's not a time for an altar call, and i got to close this up. We got to move forward here today, but I, I I want you to hear what I'm saying today. If you've got a need in your body, or you need restoration for your soul, or you're just you're just lost, or you're just kind of floundering around. Don't doubt that God can't straighten it out and get you started on the right path. Listen, something a big ship doesn't turn around over. In just a few moments' time, sometimes it takes a while to get things turned around. We can't spend 30 and 40 years messing up our life and expect God to change it all in 30 or 40 minutes, but He can get us on the right track. And when He gets His heads in the right direction, we're on our way to the destination that we're trying to get to at that point. I don't just get excited on vacation when I get there. Friend, that's one morning you don't have to rustle me out of bed. I'm excited to get up, hop in the car, and be headed out of town just because I know that we're headed in the direction that we want to go. And we're going to have a great time when we get there. There's a great feeling. Stand with me today. I, I got I to I shut this down. Hear me. Hear me. Everything may not change overnight, but there is a great, great feeling just knowing that you're on your way and that you're headed in the right direction. Don't despise the small things, the small changes. We talked about that last week. Don't despise those simple things. 
Let him make a change in you. Let him make a difference in you, starting today. Don't put it off. Simply believe, God, you have better plans for me, and I want to do your will. I want to walk your path. Take me and lead me. Would you bow your heads with me today? Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.